Uh, I say this, I feel like I say this a lot when I start sermons, but I talk about a podcast I listen to. I listen to a lot of podcasts during the week, uh, usually in the car. Uh, now that I run way too long distances, I listen as I run and I think about them at different times. But I was listening to one this week. It's one of my favorites. It's called Life and Books and Everything, and it's put out by Crossway and Kevin DeYoung and a couple other guys. He's a pastor. They talk about different books that have come out, and I just enjoy listening. Oftentimes, they interview the authors of the books, and so this week... They interviewed two gentlemen that had wrote a book called Critical Dilemma, The Rise of Critical Theories and Social Justice Ideology. And that may not be nothing to you or maybe go, okay, your eyes glaze over when you hear that. But they're talking about some of the big ideas in the world today and how they come in conflict with Christianity. And they were explaining this and and they're doing a really good job. I would encourage you if you, you like that sort of thing, it's a good podcast and worth listening to. But the thing that struck me as I listened is they were talking about this and the ways that they're going out and they've written this book and they do apologetics and they go to, uh, they go to universities and all sorts of different things. And one of the gentlemen was talking about the threats that he's gotten because of the things that he's talking about of a biblical, uh, worldview and what it looks like. And he said, I've actually gotten death threats and I've gotten people that have come after me in different ways because of the things that we're saying that just hold to what scripture says. And I was, I was kind of taken aback, but that's kind of what stuck with me in this podcast because of where we are in John's gospel and what we've been talking about. I was thinking about what we said at the very end of last week as Jesus is telling us, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he gets to the very end and he says, but you also know that even though if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit and your joy will be full and all these things. He's like, he says at the very end also, uh, but you'll also be hated by the world, right? He gets to the very end and he says that. Uh, I, I like the way Eugene P- Peterson says it in the message translation. He says, since I picked you, Jesus speaking, to live on God's terms and no longer live on the world's terms, the world is going to hate you. Right? That's John 15 and verse 19. And that's what Jesus tells us. And then we get to the beginning of this passage today and he's talking about the tribulation that will come and I'm telling you these things that you wouldn't fall away You get to the end of this passage and he says, you will have tribulation in the world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And it struck me as I was listening to those guys talk about just laying out what the Bible says and seeking to be clear and direct about it, that people are attacking them. And it's like, that's always going to be true in the world today. If you hold fast and you are faithful to what God says and what his word says, you are going to be out of step with the world. In fact, I think what is true, and actually what this guy said is that he's gotten attacks from the far left and the far right, both equally in different ways. And the truth is, if you hold fast to what Jesus says, in some areas, you'll seem way too regressive and way too conservative. And in some ways, if you hold fast to what Jesus says and what God says, some, in some instances, you'll seem way too uh, progressive or way to uh, love first and all the things that Jesus tells us. And in different areas and in different places, you'll upset pretty much everybody if you just hold fast to what Jesus says. And that's what these guys were saying as they were talking about it. And I thought about what Jesus says here. But what I want us to think about as we look at chapter 16, he is telling us, as you saw, as we just read, he says right at the beginning, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. You're going to have difficulty in the world. And you are going to be out of step with the world if you're following Jesus. But then he gives us these wonderful promises in this passage. And he tells us to continue to remain faithful. But then he tells us these wonderful promises that he gives us that I want us to think about. And so three things that he says here in John chapter 16 that I want us to see. Jesus promises first a helper. 
Second, to give us a perspective on the way to see things. And then lastly, he gives us a hope. Right? A helper, a perspective, and a hope. And he says it in John chapter 16. And so I want us to look at that together. Let's start first with the helper. Let me remind you uh, where we've been in this series. We've almost two years in now of going through the Gospels in chronological order. So looking at Jesus' life as it unfolds, we are now to the last couple of hours before he will be arrested and then crucified. This is late Thursday night into the night now, maybe even early Friday morning. We're getting close to those hours. That's where we are in the chronology of the Gospels and where Jesus is. And he's been telling us over and over as we get later and later into the Gospels that he's going to die and they're going to take him away. And he's telling his disciples this. And then he's speaking directly these things. And so we often refer to this as the farewell discourse because he's telling them the very last things he's going to say before he's crucified. And so that's where we are. And so I want us to jump in and look at what he's saying here. And the first thing that he tells us is he's going to send us a helper. And so pick up with me halfway through verse four. He says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness, concerning sin because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so I'm going to stop there and just ask the question, what is he talking about? He says, I'm going to send you a helper. And he says, it's actually better for you that I go away because I'm going to send. If I don't go away, I won't send this helper. But he says, I'm going to send this helper to you. And if you go back and you look through this farewell discourse and the upper room discourse, John 13, 14, 15, now 16. And the the context of what Jesus is saying, he tells us who the helper is. In fact, in chapter 14, he tells us very directly. He says, I'm going to send the helper to you, the Holy Spirit, that my father is going to send. And he tells us very clearly that the helper that he's talking about, that's going to come and teach us all things and do these things that he's telling us, is God himself, the third person of the Trinity, that the Spirit is going to come and live with you and be in you and, and unite you to Jesus. And he says, he's coming and I'm sending you This helper. But I want you to think about this for just a second with me. The magnitude of what he says here. The magnitude of the statement that Jesus makes in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Do you hear what he says? It's better for you. It's better that I'm going away because the helper is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. And I want you just to think about this for a second. Some of you have been here as we've gone all the way through this series. Some of you have just heard bits and pieces. But as you look at the fullness of what the Gospels tell us about who Jesus is, we started almost two years ago in John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And Jesus is God. And then he says, And then he came into the world, and he dwelt among us, and we've seen him full of grace and truth. And it says, Jesus is God and he's come into the world and we've seen him right in front of us. And then you start to unfold and you start to go through the whole of the story and you see everything that God in the flesh does. And he steps into the world and he shows us exactly what God is like. The creator God that takes on flesh and he heals the blind and he cleanses the lepers 
We saw uh, in, in Mark chapter 4 when he's in the boat and he's asleep in the stern and the, the storm rises up and they're all afraid and Jesus wakes up and he says, peace, be still, and it stops. Everybody goes, who is this? Or then he goes and he walks on the water. Or we see him feed the 5,000. We see people come at him with questions and, and antagonism. And he answers every single one of them with perfect grace and humility and authority. So much so that people go, no one's ever talked like this before. No one's ever spoken with such authority. And you see this happening all the way through the Gospels and the things that he's saying. You see him take a little girl who's died, who's, who's physically dead. And he takes her by the hand and he whispers like we would wake up a sleeping child. And he says, sweetie, it's time to get up. And she does. He speaks to Lazarus. Lazarus, come out, who's been dead for three days. And Lazarus raises from the dead. You see the transfiguration. You see uh, his baptism when the dove descends and the skies open. And God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And I want you just to think about all those little snapshots that his disciples have seen. Is that not amazing? Have you ever read the New Testament? You go, man, I wish I could have been there to see that. I have. I do that all the time. Every time I read these stories, go, what would it have been like when he says, peace, be still, and everything stops? How cool is that? But I want you, with that in your mind, to hear his words. It is to your advantage that I go away because I'm sending the Spirit. Do you hear what he's saying? It's better how can Jesus say that? You're right there with him and you're seeing these things and he's speaking and things are happening and he's healing people and all of this is going on. And he says, no, no, but it's better for you because if I go away, then I'm going to send the helper. How is that possible? How can he say that? And I think it goes to the very heart of the misunderstanding that his disciples have. And he's still teaching them. Right. John tells us he loves us till the end. He was loving us through all of this. We've been saying as we've gone through the Gospels all the way through, they had a misunderstanding of who the Messiah was. They thought he was going to come and he's going to overthrow governments and they're going to set him up in power and he's going to rule and reign and everything will be great. And Jesus keeps going, no, that's not it. I've come to lay my life down for you. I've come to restore you to the relationship that you were created for. And the way that that's going to happen is I'm living the life that you haven't lived perfectly, but then I'm going to go lay down my life for you. And that's the only way in which this is going to happen. So you see, we've seen this all the way through the Gospels. The disconnect of they're going, we need him right here ruling and reigning. And we need him in control. And we need him doing these things. And we need him controlling the evil. And Jesus is going, no, I'm going to lay down my life. Remember when he tells Peter, I'm going to die. And he goes, that'll never happen to you. It's not the way this goes. And he's going, yeah, it is. And the reason he's telling them this and the reason that he's saying this over and over is because Jesus knows that our deepest problem is the sin that has separated us from God. And he has come to deal with sin and death itself. And so he's coming not only to live the life that we haven't lived, but to die the death that we deserve so that we can have the relationship that we were created for. And so when he says to his disciples in that room, it's better for you that I go away. He's looking ahead to the cross and he knows that he's going to go lay down his life for them, for all those that would put their faith in him. And in so doing, he's going to open the way that we can have perfect union with God. Right. By what Jesus does, we have this perfect relationship through the father, united in the spirit. And he says, it's better for you 
Because in so doing, the Spirit's going to come. And He's going to not be external. He's not going to be over here that you're seeing, teaching, and doing incredible things. But He's now going to be internal. He's now going to unite you to the very one that you were created to know and to love and to have a relationship with. And so He says it's better for you. And look at why He says. Verse 8, He says, when He comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Verse 13 and 14. It says the spirit of truth will come and he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare it to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And I want you to think about what Jesus is saying. Why he's saying this is better. The spirit is going to come and he's going to convict you concerning sin and righteousness and judgment because of what Jesus has done, right? He's saying, because I'm going to go away and I'm going to go to the Father so I can send the Spirit. So this is all dependent on Jesus' finished work. And he's going to do this work and then he's going to send the Spirit. And then the Spirit comes and he convicts us of these things that he's talking about there in verse 8. He's going to come and convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And I want you to think about what that looks like. The word that Jesus uses there for helper this parakletos, if you've ever heard that before, paraclete, that it's, that it's the counselor who speaks truth. That's really what it means. Kletos means truth, para means counselor. And so it's the, the counselor who speaks truth. And I want you to think about what he's saying that's so wonderful, that the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to speak truth. He's going to speak the hard truth. He's going to convict you and he's going to show you what is right and he's going to show you what is true and he's going to bring those things out. But he's also the perfect counselor. So the hardness of having to hear the truth, right? You know how that is. If you know you're doing something wrong or you've blown it in some way and somebody puts their hand on your shoulder and goes, hey, I think you've missed it here. That's hard. It's hard to hear. But if someone really loves you, that's what they do, right? You, you speak the truth. And he says the Spirit's going to come and speak the truth, but it's just also this counselor. And he's going to speak the truth to you concerning righteousness, concerning sin, concerning judgment. And as he does, he's going to convict us of the truth. And he's going to reveal those things in our heart. But then he's also going to show us what true righteousness is. And I want you to think about the internal versus the external. If you're spending time with someone, even if you're really close. And you're observing what's happening in someone's life and you're speaking the truth to them. And if we're doing what we're told to do in scripture... As brothers and sisters in Christ, we're called to speak the truth to each other in love. And we are called to say those things. But I can't see what's in your heart and you can't see what's in my heart. We can pretend. We can put on a good face. We can pretend like it's all great and it's good. And I got, hey, I'm fine. You go, I'm fine too. And we're good. And we pretend. But when the spirit comes, there's no pretending. God is now with you and in you and in your your mind and your heart and all of it. And he sees and knows everything about you. And he speaks the truth into those deep recesses of your heart. And there's no hiding from that. And that's kind of scary, is it not? But then he's also the perfect counselor who speaks to you concerning righteousness and concerning judgment. And so as he shows you those things, you recognize that I am not righteous in and of myself. But then it's the perfect counselor. He turns and points you to Jesus and he says, but Jesus is. And he's done for you what you could never do for yourself. 
And even though you deserve judgment because of what Christ has done, you are clothed in this and you are mine and you are united with God and he shows you these things. Do you begin to see why Jesus says it's better? It's better for you that the spirit's going to come. He's going to point you to who Jesus is. He's going to show you that. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says concerning judgment, right? He's going to come and he's going to speak concerning these things, sin and righteousness and judgment, but concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. What's he talking about? He's talking about Satan, right? Different times he's talked about as the ruler of the world, the fallen sinful world. Jesus is going to drive him out. He says that earlier in John. That's what he's talking about here. So what is he saying when he's talking about judging the ruler of this world? What power does Satan have in your life? He can come and he can, he can uh, accuse. That's it. And he can come and say, JP, you're a sinner. And you blew it the other day. And you, were, you lost your temper and you did this. And that would be true, right? It's the only power he has is to accuse and to manipulate and to point to those things. But Jesus says the spirit's going to come because the ruler of the world is judged and he's going to speak concerning these things. What does the spirit do? He says, yes, but you are forgiven in Jesus and Jesus has taken your place and he has done for you what you could never do for yourself. And you are mine and you are forgiven and I've got you in the midst of that. You know, we sing a song here that says exactly that. Right. When we sing before the throne of God, Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. But upward, I look and see him there. The one who put an end to all my sin because the sinless savior died. My soul is counted free because God, the just was satisfied to look on him and pardon me. That's what the spirit says. Satan tempts you to despair and the spirit goes, no, Jesus did it. And you confess your sin and you meet him in the midst of that. And he shows you that you're forgiven. And he begins to change you from one degree of glory to another. And it's not external. It's right here with you in all things. Do you see why Jesus says it's better? It's better that I go away. And I'm going to do this work in you. And so the first thing he tells us is the world is going to be hard. But I'm sending you a helper that's better. But then the second thing he says here is he gives us a perspective, a way to see things. You think, well, why do we need that? Why do we need a perspective? The truth is that in this, he's telling us there's going to be difficult times. The world is going to hate you. I'm telling you these things that you wouldn't fall away. There's the assumption here that there's going to be difficult things. And then as he begins to talk about this different perspective here, beginning in verse 16, he's reminding us of what is true. See, oftentimes we get bogged down to where we are in the moment, right? The feelings, the emotions, what's happening right in front of us, what's happening in this day. It's kind of like when you put your hand right in front of your face, right? If I put my hand in front of my face, it looks bigger than that tree out there because it's close. It's right here in front of me. And that's what happens in our limited perspective. And we get overwhelmed and we can't see the big picture. But here, Jesus gives us a different perspective, Verse 16, he says, a little while you will see me and no longer see me no longer. And again, a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says? A little while you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the father. And so they were saying, what does it mean a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. But then look at verse 20. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep. And lament, but the world will rejoice. 
You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. And when she's delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. You know, what is he talking about? In a little while, you'll see me in a little while. You won't. I'm going to the father. He's been telling him all these things. He's preparing them. And I think if you look at the context and everything that Jesus has said in these last few chapters and the immediate context of what he's getting at, I think he's talking about he's about to go and return to the father. Death, resurrection, ascension. He's going to go when he knows he's going to leave them. They're going to now be empowered by the spirit. They're going to go out and they're going to seek to make disciples throughout the face of the earth. And he says, I'm not going to be there. And it's going to be hard at different times, but I am going to return. I think Jesus here is talking about the time from his first coming to his second coming, from his ascension until when he returns. And I think that partly just because of the context and because he says he's going to the father and the way he's saying it. I think also because he uses the analogy here of a woman giving birth. And he says, just like a woman who gives birth, it's really difficult in that moment. And then when the birth comes, the, the joy of the baby. Paul uses that exact analogy in Romans chapter 8 of waiting for Jesus to return now. He says, we're going through the birth pangs today, but it's going, it's coming, right? The glory that is coming. And so I think he's thinking all the way from his first coming to his second coming and what he's saying here. But then I want you to think about, so what is it that he's then saying? That a little while he's talking about is 2,000 plus years and counting. It's a pretty different perspective than the way that we usually think, right? We usually put things in moments and days and and minutes and, and what's right in front of us. But God sees the whole. He says the entirety of the picture. In fact, first Peter, uh, Peter uses this exact same phrase of in a little while. Right. First Peter, chapter one. Listen to what he says. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. So you hear what Peter's saying. Jesus has purchased your salvation and it is perfect and complete. And he's got this inheritance waiting for you. But then listen to what Peter says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the testing The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire. Do you hear what he's saying? He says, even in this life, if you go through difficult times and difficult seasons, even for a little while, the glory that is to come so over does that. It eclipses that. And it's the exact same thing that Jesus is saying here. I love the analogy that he uses of a woman having a baby. And going through the pain and the heartache and the, 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 the difficulty of having a child. And he says, but then when that child is born and you hold that child in your hands and you see him and then all of a sudden that fades. Because the glory of what's happened and you see that in this child and then you see him and you love him so much. And Jesus says it's the same. That in a little while it's going to come and the glory with which it's going to come is going to be so great that it's going to eclipse everything that you've gone through. That's why I can say 2,000 plus years is a little while. It's the same thing that Paul says in Romans chapter 8. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
What's coming is so wonderful and so full. It's why Paul can say this light and momentary affliction. You know, Paul says that about his life. Paul, who was beaten and thrown in jail and shipwrecked and snake bitten and stoned and left for dead. And he says a light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that's beyond all comparison. And so if you see the reality of all things, the big picture of what God is doing and the way he's working, and you you take that perspective and then you see the things in your life in that you can say in a little while. In a little while, it'll all be good. Even if it's 80 years of difficulty in your life, you can still say in a little while. I'll tell you, I've come to love that phrase. In a little while. Part of it, I'll tell you personally, because of this, because of this passage, because of what First Peter says, because coming back to that over and over. But I'll also tell you personally, uh, it's because of a, a story with my brother. I'm not going to cry. I'm working on it. Somebody told me uh, the other day, it's a good thing you don't wear mascara, because that would be a disaster. That's true. Years ago, uh, you, you know, my brother Jed died when he was 29 years old in a car wreck. I think a year or two before that, Jed and I went to a concert together. He used to go to concerts with me all the time. In this particular concert we went to, we went together to see the greatest band that's ever lived in the history of the world. If you don't know who that is, if you know me, you know who it is. But it was you 2 And so we went to see you 2 in concert together. And Jed and I were talking about what songs we wanted to hear. Oh, well, maybe they'll play this or maybe play this. And Jed goes, I really hope they play In a Little While. So you 2 song, In a Little While. And I went, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And they did. And I remember that night we went to the concert and we left. And he's like, that's one of my favorites. That was cool. I'm glad. You know, I just remember having that conversation with him. And it wasn't until years later that I even thought about that song after Jed passed. And then listening to the song and reading this passage and going back to that memory. And I don't know if you know that song or you've ever heard it before. But it's really a song about him coming home late at night to his wife. The singer coming home late at night to his wife. But then he says... Uh, I read years later in an article that he said at some point it had morphed to a gospel song. He said it changed in my understanding of what it was. And so in the song, it just says, in a little while, I won't be blown by every breeze. Friday night running to Sunday on my knees. In a little while, I won't be blown like that anymore. I won't be struggling in those ways. I won't be running from Friday night to Sunday morning and collapsing on my knees. But then he says, in a little while, this hurt will hurt no more. I'll be home, darling, in a little while. I go, yes. In a little while, when Jesus returns, the glory that eclipses everything that we went through will suddenly seem like a speck in time. And the glory that comes will so eclipse it that we'll go, wow. I'm pretty excited. Listen to that song with my brother with Jesus in front of us. We're home. Look at what he's done and who he is. And he tells us to take that perspective and see it in those ways. But then the last thing I would tell you is not only does he give us a helper, not only does he give us a perspective, but he also gives us a hope. And I want you to look at just the very last thing that he says here. Verse 33. Actually, go back to uh, verse 32. He says, Behold, the hour is is coming, and indeed it is here, 
when you will be scattered, each of you to your own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, because in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I love that Jesus says that in the way he says it, right? Take heart, I have overcome the world. He's talking about defeating sin and death on the cross. Jesus sees the big picture. He knows the fullness of it. They don't understand exactly what's happening, but he says, I've overcome the world. And I want you to think about that for just a second. And let me remind you, when you read the Bible and you see the word hope, or you start to think about the biblical idea of hope, it's not what we say in our English language, right? Oftentimes we say, I hope that works out. I mean, kind of wishy-washy, like it's kind of this, "Eh, maybe it will, maybe it won't. But hope, biblically speaking, is a confident assurance in what is to come. And so Jesus says here, I have overcome the world. And he's about to walk out those doors and walk out and let them arrest him. And I say let them arrest him because when they come to arrest him, Peter pulls out his sword and he says, enough, put it away. Do you not know that I can stop this at any moment? I am choosing for this to happen. And because Jesus chose for this to happen and he did this in this way, and he lays down his life for us, and in his glorious resurrection, he shows that God has accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. He's done for us what we can't do for ourselves. When we put our faith and trust in him, our hope is secure. Our future is set. And it's not because we're perfect or we've got it together. It's because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And we can rest in that. And so I want you to think about when he says here, you will have tribulation in the world, but take heart. I've overcome the world. What's the worst that can happen in your life? You can die. You can get arrested. You can be persecuted. You can be thrown in jail. You get hurt very badly and live a lot, a lot of years in pain and then you die. And then you open your eyes in glory and you see your Savior. You go, in a little while, that was nothing. It's all perfectly together now. And that glory will so eclipse everything that you went through. That we can say, in a little while, we'll be home because of what he's done. And we have that confident assurance. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of what you've done for us. That we can rest in you and what you've done. We thank you that you send the Spirit to convict us. But then to show us who you are and what you've done to turn us to the fullness of what you've completed on our behalf. We pray today. I pray for those that are struggling with the areas in their life, trusting you fully, that you would remind them. We pray, Spirit, that you would work in our life to show us the glory of what is to come. We pray that when we're overwhelmed by our circumstances, that you would give us a bigger picture, give us a greater vision of what is to come. Lord, would your words that you have overcome the world be ringing in our ears this week as we go, as we seek to follow you in all things and in all ways. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.